0: Knowledge is created in English, in theory, right? The knowledge that everyone knows about. Oh, that's a phrase, isn't it? Knowledge is only created in English. Or oh. legitimate knowledge, for sure. Mm. Right? But just saying knowledge is created in English is very, um, actually, probably not very politically correct, but legitimate. What's, what the world sees as legitimate knowledge most, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that's worth fighting against, right? yeah and and i think it's it on the one hand um just um well first of all i would say it's wrong right i think there's lots of knowledge produced elsewhere um but but it's like there's one very simple reason is that more people speak english and that's because of colonization and and so on um and then how successful the american have been about exporting their own mm-hmm. culture right so that that kind of came after the colonization and that so that helped, but then it's also a question of yeah that actual the power that these ang- that Anglophone countries have been able to acquire in order to see themselves as the most legitimate producers of knowledge
0: yeah 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 there's yeah there's definitely a language thing that it and there's also yeah I like a more of a political The great economist John Maynard Keynes once wrote of the foolish things a man thinking alone can come temporarily to believe. Fortunately, I did not have to think alone.
1: And neither do we. Welcome to Cetris Never Paribus, the History of Economic Thought Podcast, where all other things are never equal. Thank you so much, Cecilia, for agreeing to come on to um, the podcast.
0: Um, The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is just to present yourself. Good. So actually, it's really good to be here. Thank you, Maria, for inviting me. Uh, So I'm Cecilia Lanata-Briones. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Warwick. And um, my research interests sort of kind of relate to the history of statistics in terms of economic statistics mainly it's production and use and when we're talking about that is you know I have mainly focused on that in America but it, well you know yeah trying to branch out to other parts of the world as well. Great thanks
1: so the first thing I wanted to ask you was about your um, thesis and what your um, question was there and then Tied in with that, what your um, approach was to doing that research?
0: I guess the approach was something that I developed while I was doing the, the PhD, right? Um, it wasn't something that, um, yeah, that I was following, right? I didn't have sort of kind of a, a recipe as to what to do. And I sort of kind of feel like one of the important things about my thesis um, is that yeah the approach kind of the method i ended up developing what i call a three step methodology as to how to approach the study of statistics right particularly historical ones right in which unlike what happens today and if we're thinking about official statistics the cpi or or, or gdp or whatever you know there are very clear guidelines produced by, I don't know, for example, the UN or other, or, or other bodies as to what's expected, right, in terms of how national st- statistical agencies produce GDP, right? This is, didn't exist as it exists now in the past. So sometimes for certain statistics, and in this case, for me, it was the, the Argentine Cost of Living Index, um, the first two that were released in 1918 and 1933 is how to approach the study of its production and use, right? And uh because again, the the methodology there wasn't a, a methodology to follow. So these the when these statistics were released, there wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily clear, right, how they were produced. So um to study the Argentine cost of living in the first half of the 20th century, that was sort of the, the big topic um, of my dissertation. Um, what I did, as I said, was develop this three-step methodology that I call deconstruction, construction, and reconstruction, right? Uh, it sounds a bit of a tongue twister, but I don't know. It's not very marketable, is it? Uh, and um, so what what's the point, right? Again, trying to sort of, First of all, in this deconstruction phase, try to understand what was done. What had happened to me and what was clear with, with the two different estimates of the Argentine Cost of Living Index is that just by reading where they were released, it, was, it wasn't necessarily very straightforward. It's their methodology, right? So the deconstruction phase in, the, in this case, uh, and again, applied to the Argentine Cost of Living Index to sort of kind of follow the example of the thesis is, kind of collect all these official or unofficial publications, government publications, if you want, um, where they sort of talk about this index, right, Uh, to get a comprehensive idea of how do they estimated it, how they estimated it, right? And uh, as I said, most of them are official government publications, but sometimes, you know, In these two cases, there were specific men, right? Specific statisticians involved in their production. So, And um, it's not just about reading those official publications, but maybe other publications authored by these authors or written by these authors where they sort of kind of explain other aspects that weren't clear in the um, official methodology. So, So that's the deconstruction phase. The construction phase is trying to understand why right this um these um statistics why were produced right so why do the different statisticians start producing a statistic that wasn't produced before right because the 1919 was the first kind of argentine cost of living index so the why uh put it into context right because these you know statistics are not produced in a vacuum they are produced for a specific reason at a specific moment in time, right? And these things tend to be related. So try, and also try to understand sort of the objectives of these specific men that were behind the numbers, uh, and the uses of the statistic. And once we have the methodology, sometimes, you know, if we look at, if we look at it um, in terms of what was the aim, and I'll, and I'll get into sort of, for example, a bit of detail, right? Um, in case of the first estimate, right, it, you know, it's, it's about the working class, right? It tries to, to reflect the pattern of the working class of the city of Buenos Aires in the 1920s, end, end of the 1910s, 1920s. And you would expect, right, that you have a pseudo basket of consumption and you would expect that um, the prices at which you weight that basket are um, retail prices. But if you look... At the methodology, the author or the statistician wasn't using retail prices. He was using wholesale prices to weight that basket, right? It's sort of kind of trying to identify. Uh, so, you know, in a way, then it's not really a cost of living index of the working class, right? Because the working class wouldn't pay wholesale prices. So it's sort of once you understand the methodology and you understand the purpose of the indicator and all those things, is trying to see if that indicator fits within its purpose, right? If the methodology fits. And uh, what happened to me, looking at this, right, at, at both the 1918 and the 1933 estimates, is that I found kind of, if you want, contradictions or problems between the aims, the original aims of the statisticians and what they actually did, right? So one example is this from the 1918 And it's uh, index, and it's not because they weren't any retail prices, right? Being produced by the national statistical system, they were, but uh, they weren't used. For example, what also happened in 1933, they had done a survey and much more comprehensive um, household budget survey. Um, Again, it was meant to be a working class budget. The idea was. yeah, the, for some reason, the, the, the author of that time, the statistician of that time, wanted a representative family, and he claimed that the representative family was a family formed by a father, the mother, and three kids under the age of 14. And if you look at the census data of the city of Buenos Aires around that time, that's not the representative family, right? The representative family was one of, you know, mother, father, and two kids, Right. So, you know, it's sort of kind of trying to, it's not a criticism, it's just trying to really kind of put that put that estimate in context, right? So finding out these problems, or if you want the contradictions between aims and and what's done. That's the construction phase. And the reconstruction phase um is basically trying to adjust, come up with a new estimate, trying to adjust for those problems. Right? So that's one part of the reconstruction phase. So one of the things that I do is come up with a new, in, you know, a new cost of living index with retail prices or a new cost of living index with, you know, with the basket of a family of four individuals rather than five individuals, things like that, and see what happens Right in terms of the, if you want the long-term index. That's the first part of the reconstruction phase, and I'm about to finish with this. And the second part of the reconstruction phase is putting the estimate in context, right? Because obviously Argentina wasn't the only country producing cost of living indices in the 1910s and 1920s and the 1930s. There were others, the U.S., uh, Britain, France, Germany, just to name a few, so, but it's sort of trying to understand what makes the Argentine, if, if anything at all, right? Or the statistic that you're looking at different than the rest, right? Again, thinking that there weren't any big standardized rules as to how to do these things. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's sort of kind of what I did in, in a nutshell, tied with within this idea of the three-step methodology.
1: Yeah, so the, just to clarify on the reconstruction, the first part there where you're trying to reconstruct the numbers based on the criticism that you find in the second step. So you're trying to reconstruct it according to the statistician's aims or the the, yeah okay yes but not according to what you
0: think is better no no so I'm trying to sort of no of course not because that would be sort of kind of anachronistic right because we we are thinking about the 1910s and the 1920s and the 1930s with what what the idea of today of what a cost of living index or what a CPI obviously they're not exactly the same thing but let's assume for the argument's sake that in this case they are it would be completely anachronistic right to just think about that with today's kind of you know point of view so it's trying to yeah to come up with a number that's more I don't trying to you know sort of kind of more in line with what the statistician wanted right and
1: and so because so that that applies to the first example you had the second example was about this family and the the what the statistician thought the family look. yeah that
0: the average family looked like yeah yeah and that's because he just didn't look at the census or that's that's a very good question I don't know because unfortunately I can't ask him right um that's the thing about doing history sometimes we know it's it's this speculation right about reasons as to why people do stuff and we make these guesses right with with you know with archive information and and sources that we find and um Yeah. So I don't know why he said it was a family of three, Um, but I did. Yeah. So but so my only way was to look at other evidence that you would expect he was aware of because he was, you know, a really important statistician at the time. But, you know, I guess that. Without too much speculation in this case, this is sort of kind of where the idea of the politics of numbers comes into play, right? Because, you know, certain decisions are made. Sometimes on the basis of, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this is the case for the Argentine cost of living index, but for political reasons, right? And higher or lower estimates of GDP or, or cost of living, right, tend to reflect and be much more um, useful, right? So I do do some speculation along those lines, right? Sort of, kind of try to compare that estimate, the official estimate, with with what I come up with, with a family of four. And, yeah, obviously there's a gap, right? And there's slightly higher inflation. It's not, yeah, or higher price movement, right? But, you know, we can't really fully say there was a political motive, right? But one can speculate to us. There could have been. Hmm. Yeah, it's
1: just interesting not to dwell on this example too long, but, like, is it that he just around him saw more families with three children uh, or was it that he thought that that should be the number of children that each family should have? Um, or did he just read, misread the statistics? I mean yeah it's it's just one little example, but it's quite it, as you said, it's quite a good um, example to realize this the problem with historical research, right It's not easy to have any of these answers.
0: And I guess that it's not just that. I think that it's obviously one big, you know, one, one issue with historical research. But it's also, I think what it also depicts is how numbers are not objective, right? So in that sense, you know, we historically thought that, you know, price changes in Argentina were of X magnitude at some point in time. But if we change, right, the, the, the basket, you know, the, the consumption basket, if we change the prices, uh, that can change the narrative, right? As well around what we, you know, what historical processes, right? And 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 that numbers are not objective, right? There are there are individuals that make decisions as to how that number should look like.
1: Yes, absolutely. So my next question is, how did you? Um, end up focusing on this, the Argentinian cost of living index? And why do you think this is an important contribution to the literature?
0: I guess I'll start with the second bit. Um, It seems, um, yeah, much more straightforward answer. Um, I guess that, you know, I hadn't seen until, I hadn't seen people that looked at statistics with this sort of level of detail, right? There's a lot of literature that, um, you know, within sociology of quantification or, or, or however you want to call the study, you know, that this study of, um, of, you know, production and use of statistics uh, that tried to put statistics in context, that tried to understand, you know, why censuses were taken in a particular way, you know, how sampling came about, how do we measure unemployment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, you know, to the best of my knowledge, up until that time, I had never seen anyone that actually sat down to really look into detail a cost of living index, right? So I guess that that's sort of the, the, the big contribution, apart from this, if you want, not really prescripted by a methodology, right, as to how to think about researching these statistics. Uh, now, why... Argentina. Um, I guess that, you know, apart from the fact that that's where I'm from, um, Argentina is it's a country that's had, you know, price problems, inflation problems forever. And I grew up, um, let's not talk about today, but, you know, I grew up in the sort of kind of, you know, hyperinflation and, and, and moments like that. And then, you know, moments of when there were no price increases or there was a bit of deflation. So, you know, prices are something that have always been in the back of my head in in terms of trying to understand not just, you know, why inflation happened, which is not one of the things that I do in my thesis at all, but sort of kind of, you know, things around measuring prices, right? So that's sort of kind of always been my thing and also thinking about how Inflation, in particular, doesn't um, affect everyone in the same way, right? Obviously, my I, that's not what I wanted to do to begin with. Uh, so, this what I ended up doing is not what I wanted to do to begin with. I wanted to do sort of kind of historical price indices for like different social classes and the like, right? Or you know, income quintiles or blah blah blah. That was the initial aim. Thinking about how inflation affects people in different ways, and obviously, you know, the sources don't allow me to do that. Um, but I found other things, right? And, and thinking about the production and use of statistics.
1: Uh, so can you tell us about the, um, the book that you recently published that's also close to this area?
0: I guess that um, I didn't write a book myself. I co-edited a volume with, with two colleagues, with Andres Estefane from Chile and Claudia Daniel from Argentina. Um, that's called the Sociopolitical Histories of Latin American Statistics, uh, came out last year, I think it was. Basically, what we try to do there is two things. Um, One is to show to the world, in a way, uh, part of the research that's being produced, mainly in Latin America, about latin america statistics right production and use of statistics Histori- historically speaking the most of the chapters there's a chapter in argentina a chapter on chile and, and peru and there's a chapter on brazil there's a chapter on colombia there's a chapter in mexico um, try so these different yeah and, and focusing on 19 early 20th century right history of statistics mainly in in, in these countries um and again um everyone that wrote uh, a chapter for that volume tends to write in their own native language right and uh about their most of them about their own countries um so one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this book um was to sort of yeah disseminate part of the knowledge and part of the of the research as well as yeah well the knowledge that's the knowledge right and that's has been made in, in, in Latin America historically, because it's it's not just about, you know, the research of these individuals, but about what had happened in Latin America in terms of the production of statistics, censuses and, and, and diff- uh, you know, maps and other different things. That's one of the aims of the book. I guess the other aim of the book is sort of, this is the, the bibliographical essay that Andres, Claudia, and I wrote, which is the last chapter of the book, is sort of kind of, an overview, right? So it's not just actual chapters on, on research from, from, from that's, you know, happened for the book, but also sort of kind of do a bibliographical essay showing the state of the art, right? This is all the research that has been produced. And I guess that one of the also big contributions of that book is that the end of that, of that bibliographical essay chapter has a list, right? That, to the best of our knowledge everything that has been written up to more or less when the book was produced right on latin american statistics because i guess I, one of the other things that i find important is a lot of stuff happened in latin america in the 19th, 20th century in terms of contribution towards the production of statistics more broadly and uh It needs to be known outside Latin America, right, for it to sort of be considered knowledge, I think. And um, that's one of the things that, you know, we wanted to do with the book, too.
1: Yeah. Bring these people and research into the, onto the global stage. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is one of the aims of our, our, a, a newer project that we're working on. Well, Hopefully we'll start working on more seriously um next year you and i which i'm very excited about um and so that's a uh, history of national accounting elsewhere is what i'd like to say but the idea is to kind of understand right take a few case studies from what we call the global south today and look at their history of national accounting and so that's not quite cost of living but of course it's very much up your alley um um very much up your alley um, Cecilia when it comes to statistics right Um, so there's this example that you've found for now at least in the late 19th century of somebody producing national accounts um, in Argentina could you tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah so this is very much early stages right as as you well know Maria because we literally just you know we're just starting to work on it Um, so So, yeah, you know, after finishing my PhD, I sort of kind of got bored of the cost of living and of prices and uh, started thinking about, you know, another really, really important economic statistic, right, which is GDP or, you know, or some kind of measurement of income uh, of a country. And, yeah, so I, as you do when you do research, you start with what you think is, oh, this is the first thing that actually happened. And then you realize that that might not be the first thing, the first estimate. Uh, so, so yes. So um, that's why you named it the end, the one of the end of the 19th century. So Francisco Lazzina was, a, if you want, like sort of a pseudo-national statistician in Argentina in the 1880s, 1890s, 1910s. Um, and he did a first kind of estimate of, it's not quite income, but it's, he calls it wealth, right? It's fortuna uh, in Spanish. And yeah, he tries to kind of measure. I'm not, you know, I think we're obviously we're not quite there yet in terms of the analysis, but what seems to be to me at least, and that's my hunch and it's a huge hypothesis at this stage, uh, sort of kind of some kind of measurement of Argentina's potential uh, in terms of, yeah, potential in terms of wealth, if you want, rather than income. Um, Argentina at that time was, you know, a massive producer, exporter of commodities, wheat and and beef, um, and was also very much trying to attract immigrants, right? Mainly European immigrants and capital to sort of kind of develop, right? This um, export-led model, uh, commodity export-led model. And um, I think, you know, one of the crucial, very crucial kind of aims of of that scene had was, you know, try to sort of kind of show, okay, yes, we are a country that is growing that has you know a decent size in terms of its economic potential right uh and yeah so you know to get immigrants and capital flowing in um yeah and that's what you know that's one of the things that we want to do you and I from what we discussed sort of kind of think you know what is being done for example in Argentina in other parts of the world like India sort of kind of more or less at the same time right and and why is Latintina doing this? Why someone else in India is doing that as well, and sort of see how they also fit into sort of the international arena, and who do they establish a dialogue with, right? Yeah, exactly,
1: because you know the history of national accounting, as you know well, better than me is is very much centered on a kind of the 1930s, 40s, when the international standards concretize so in northern north america and then there are some studies done on germany france and england and the uk exactly um and i guess the only really case that goes back in history is twos in germany but really so there's kind of that focus on later in history than this late 19th century and just in the what we call the global north today right um whereas as you as you said so well there's lots of other people doing it elsewhere and it might be um in different ways it might be with statistics that are much less um holistic i mean the case in india where i think we're, we're trying we're seeing if we could compare the indian case with the argentinian case at the moment right in the 18, yeah, 70s, 1880s 1890s um is that of course in the indian case it's a colony and so they have um, the economist only has access to the colonial books that are obviously have very different aims than an Indian does of, of counting the economy because it's for all, you know, it's all for the kind of colonial purposes of trying to extract resources from India, right? So the statistics are um have lots of margins of error, as the Indian economist Naruji talks about, Dabadan Naruji. And it was interesting in your case too your um that Suna talks also lots about uh, margins of error right um and so 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 far in this project i often have this um question why i've chosen these case studies so i've have your case study in argentina and then there's one in india and then a later one in the 1960s in nigeria and one of the things that i think will be really interesting to question or at least is my main question is this how are national accounting processes or how are national accounts done differently depending on what stage of independence you're in right so Argentina obviously in the late 19th century have been independent for some you know not quite 100 years but almost and whereas India is just starting its nationalist movement and so of course the kinds of access to data that they have but also the kind of power of you know to actually disseminate their estimate is so very different right Um, and it must have then an impact on the number that's actually produced
0: right yeah and and i also think that you know and this is you know food for thought for us right i mean you know you need some some kind of, of validity right internal you know sort of kind of legitimacy as to you know why you're counting whatever it is you're counting it doesn't necessarily have to be you know income or, or wealth or whatever but you know you're producing statistics for a reason right and uh, that sort of saints in a way or the view other people might have of what the of the numbers that you're producing right and you you choose to produce statistics for different reasons and um yeah so i guess that you know there's a lot of, of for us to think about and unpin but uh, i do think that you know it, it can be really interesting to think about economies that might be in different stages politically right and um yeah might be national states might not be national states because they're colonies but they're still trying to count for a reason, right? And trying to count what other people elsewhere are trying to count. Uh, but we know much more about them for, for, for different reasons. But, you know, Latsina and Aruji, they're there trying to do similar things to what other people are trying to do that we know much more about.
1: Yeah, and I think I think this focus away from the global north, away from colonizers actually opens up A vision of what national of things that national accounting can do that is very different right so we often talk about national accounting as a form of control so in colonies because they've done a lot of research on india and other countries that where the colonizers counted their economies to control them right um but if you look at and Naruji, the Indian case, I mean, he is counting in order to emancipate him and his country from their colonizers, right? And I think in many ways, even though Argentina is independent by this point, you you said it earlier, he needed to count his economy to understand how big it was in, in one way to entice, you know, foreign investment, um, um, immigration. Um, and so it is to sell to sell its country, right, to, in a way to... Yeah, to emancipate it from this dependency that it had on um,
0: oh,
1: yeah. raw material demand from the global north, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And so yes. I think we're shifting the perspective, I think. but And that often happens when you look elsewhere. Your perspective <laughs> changes on what something is, right?
0: Yes. And I guess, yeah, and, and that's why I think it's really important that that we pursue this in terms of, you know, trying to see, yeah, that that things... There's like a this, like, this counting of things, different things happens for different reasons, right? And um, and it happens in different ways, right? Because again, you know, the, the national statistical systems are at different points in, in their development, if you want, right? For for very very many different reasons, and they also have other priorities, right? So it, it you know, at you know, the big priority at that time in Argentina wasn't you know, estimating income. It was, you know, having proper foreign trade estimates, right? Because, you know, that's where the wealth was coming from, right? The export of these materials. So, you know, much of Ladzina's emphasis is not on, on, on this kind of wealth or income um, number, but on other things. But he still, you know, but he has this kind of holistic view as that we, we need a lot of, you know, one statistic is not enough, right? Even though if... Even though exports are, if you want, the biggest component of our of our income in a way, right? If we think about it from 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 today's perspective. Yeah,
1: and so that's another. In a way, your your history there of Argentina is also an institutional one. That so Argentina was really trying to kind of place itself on the map in terms of production of statistics right it was trying to modernize its statistics no
0: yeah yeah i guess that yeah of course and i think that happens in a lot of countries though in the 19th Mm -hmm. century right we we still don't have necessarily decennial census as a thing right that's as institutionalized in this i think as far as i know it's you know the states and you know to some extent the uk are the ones that really carry out decennial censuses right other countries are much more it's much more difficult right and and such a big activity like counting everyone in your territory uh no matter how big or small your territory is and if we're talking about 19th century it's not that straightforward right um and again it's a different world you know we, you mentioned there's loads of colonies at that time so again you know the, the aims of the colonial powers as to what they count uh in their colonies is very different perhaps to what they count inside their own you know at home right so it's yeah it's sort of kind of Putting all those things in a perspective and, and, and getting the and trying to understand what actually did happen in these countries. Mm,
1: yeah. And then you mentioned Riley too, this kind of this uh, one of our key aims to bring them into the global conversation and the fact that they are citing um and, and consulting works from others from the global north at the time to understand how they were producing national accounts for those countries and seeing how they could be adapted to their own context, right? Um and one of the things we would talking about the other day, trying to understand what economists in the UK, for example, the kind of, you know, the, the the key state at the time, like how were they doing their national accounts at the time and how did they compare? And I mean, something that I realized quite early on with my Indian case is that um, the economist is very adamant that he wants to count differently. Um, but at the same time, he has ideas, but then he still adds some statistics that he's not convinced by to kind of please the his audience, right? Because he also wants to be, on the one hand, he wants to fight for the Nationalist movement and he wants to he wants to use the statistics to 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 prove his case that India was poor and it was the British fault. But the but he also realizes that he has to do that this number A will help him because numbers are objective. You mentioned it earlier. Um so they're helpful and but and then he could also compare it to the UK national income and others. And kind of rank the countries and put India at the very bottom, as he said, as the poorest country in the world. But also because he that number needed to be then be credible. So he needed to think about what how others were counting other economies. Um so they're taking part in real kind of fundamental debates about how do you count an economy that that are conversations that we're very aware of today, I think, as historians of economics that these things, these kinds of conversations are are happening constantly still today about what is the best way to count
0: yeah well there's definitely a lot of debate about what's not counted in gdp nowadays right to to sort of kind of try to think and obviously what's not counted and what's important depends on the country but oh yeah you can't rank as you were saying before if you're not sort of kind of measuring the same thing right so i think you know i'm you know probably naruji not only just wanted to please but he wanted you know to to be in that debate and to be considered not just for credibility but to be able to say India is so poor, he needs to have some kind of, you know, standardized measure to compare it to other countries that are estimating income in a very similar way. Otherwise, it's not credible. It's not, you know, it's not rankable. Right, yeah. So there's a lot of things there, I think, as I said, to unpick that are, yeah, hopefully putting together a really interesting project. (laughs) Yeah, I hope
1: so. Yeah. And I think this comparison, this comparative approach, I think is, is noteworthy and, and pertinent, especially when it comes to national accounting, as you just mentioned, because national accounting is produced in order to compare to something else. Whether it's you comparing your own country from 10 years ago to today, um, and so you have to count the same way in those two years, or it's about comparing your country to another country in order to rank it with others. And those two aims for national accounting kind of exist every time at least i have not found someone that doesn't have those two aims with doing national accounts
0: yeah i completely agree right so so it is it is really important to set to, yeah that that comparison mechanism right is it's important internally for 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 naruji for latzina and for everyone who produces some kind of statistic right but it is it is that yeah it is the sort of the external validation as well you
1: mm-hmm. <clears throat> you'll have to stay tuned but well Thank you so much, Cecilia. It's been great. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough to come back for more. The featured music is called Knowing Nothing by Midair Machine, and our intro features Paul Krugman at his Nobel Prize Banquet speech in 2008. Thank you to Noble Media AB for giving us the permission to use the audio. Check out our website, ceterisneverparabus.net, for more information. Follow us on Twitter, Cetris, and Parabus, And listen to more episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Um, but yeah, so have a lovely weekend once you, you get to the weekend. and um,
0: yeah. well, we're we'll, almost there.
1: Well, exactly. <laughs> we're almost there. Um, speak
0: uh, soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.